Hi, everybody. <laughs> Happy Wednesday. <laughs> so what you may or may not know, we're actually in a bit of a series here. We're using this great book of Ernest Holmes called Love and Law for Inspiration over the next few months. And tonight, I suppose it being February at all, it's no surprise that we're going to talk about love tonight. But what the heck is it? We heard a song, actually we heard kind of three songs about it already, right? And we did a little meditating around it. What is love? Well, I did find some kind of irreverent uh, dictionary uh, quotes here for you. We'll try some of these on for size. So first of all, this is the dictionary of love. Attraction, the art of associating horniness with a particular person. Good, yeah, I thought you'd like, aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Yeah. <laughs> How about love at first sight? What occurs when two horny but not entirely choosy people meet? <laughs> it goes downhill. Interesting, a word to describe someone that lets you do all the talking. This must be a, like a dating handbook, too, or something. Oh, well, no, there's even a definition of dating here. The process of spending enormous amounts of time, money, and energy to get better acquainted with a person whom you may or may not like in the present and most definitely may or may not like in the future. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to put that away for now. Gosh, but where can we get maybe a better answer about love? Well, naturally, of course, I thought of the Wikipedia. Where would you go to find out about love? And I, what I found out was there's three components of it. Not one, not five. Love is based on three components. First of all, there's lust. Yes, biological models of love tend to view it as a mammalian drive, much like hunger or thirst. A leading expert on the topic of love divides the experience of love into three partly overlapping stages, lust, attraction, and attachment. So first, lust is the initial passionate sexual desire that promotes mating and involves the increased release of chemicals such, well, and it goes on and on, and talks about how these little things like latch onto parts of our brain and make us do crazy things. Then uh, it says, but you know what? This only lasts a few weeks or maybe a month. Then attraction kicks in. Now that's the more individualized and romantic desire for a specific candidate for mating. And it develops out of lust, but moves into a longer lasting form. And again, it talks about the, the neuroscience, including femorones and dopamine. And, and what they're describing here is like a drug. They're what they're really saying is when you fall in love, you're drugged. And uh, so that lasts from one to one, no, excuse me, that lasts from one and a half to three years. Then the third stage kicks in, and it's called attachment. It's the bonding that promotes relationships lasting for many years and even decades. And it goes on to talk about some of the chemicals that are actually released into our bloodstream and affects our... But wait a minute, that's not why you came here tonight, is it? <laughs> is this really love? See, I think we have mixed up, if you will, not the what, but the how. Do you know what I mean? This may be how it works, but I don't think this is really describing what it is. I want to try something else on uh, size for you. Would you close your eyes for just a minute? 
I want to read you something. When your love reaches the core, earth upheavals and bright eruptions flow into the air. The universe becomes one spiritual thing. It's that simple. Love mixing with spirit. Now today, like every other day, we may wake up empty and feel frightened. But don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Instead, take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. That's from the, uh, the Persian poet Rumi. And I have the, the great honor of filling in for uh, uh, Reverend Shannon this week as she's teaching uh, practical mysticism. And we're going to be covering Rumi. And you know what? I think approaching something like love from an aspect of science, kind of crazy. Approaching it from the idea of poetry, though, I think makes a little more sense to me. Rumi, you know, wrote thousands and thousands of poems, some of them quite passionate sounding, some of them sounding like the, the object of desire was, you know, part of the mating instinct, and yet all of them written with the idea of God as the intended object of love. And so I'd like to spend a few minutes today talking about God's love. I, I, I know I promised we would talk about how we can become more effective in love, but for a moment, let's talk about God's love. What is it? This is the part where we get to have audience participation, by the way. So, so what does God's love mean to you? How about some shout out of some ideas or words? Acceptance. Unconditional. Anything else? Comfort. Comfort. I'm sorry? Caring. Uh-huh. Inner love. Mm -hmm. Unconditional regard. Unconditional regard. Sacrifice. Abundant. Endless. Grace, yes. Inspiration. Generous and joyful. Spirit in action. Let's stop for a minute for, with a few of these ideas. Now, a couple of you mentioned the idea of unconditional. And I want to work with that for a moment. You know, in the early days, when people talked about the Christian God, it wasn't that there was only one God, you know? In the early days, when people talked about Yahweh or Jehovah, the idea was, as opposed to Baal or one of the other gods, there wasn't just one idea of God. And at that time, the idea of God wasn't particularly uh, loving, if you will. It was pretty much a conditional system. You, you had to pay your taxes towards, <laughs> towards Jehovah. You had to do what you needed to do. And, the, and then the condition would be you would get into heaven. So in the early days of many of the, the major religions in the world, God wasn't that idea of unselfish or unexpecting love, right? It actually had conditions with it. But today, yeah, I think that we have a good understanding of God as giving, as loving, and it doesn't matter who you are. 
doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter whether you come to church on Wednesdays or on Sundays. <laughs> Just by the mere fact you are part of this thing that we call God, you are loved. Unconditionally. The other thing that a couple of people talked about was, I think, the immediacy of it. It's there for us always. God doesn't have loving days and unloving days. God, God doesn't go on siesta or, or something like that. Or, or you wait for certain times, right? You don't have to feel God's love just at a certain time or a certain place. It's always available. And the third element of what I heard also was that God's no respecter of persons, Again, in the olden days, uh, Jehovah gave his love only to who? The, the Israelites, right? There was a specific love, a specific God for specific sets of people. And you best beholden to figure out that you're praying to the right person, the right set of, of beliefs, the right set of ideas. Not so much anymore, right? Our idea of God's love is that it is truly available all the time and for anyone for anyone that chooses to feel it. I have a proposition for you all. And here's where we start talking about the idea of becoming more successful in our own loving relationships. My thesis tonight, my belief, is that the more that we can love like God, the more successful we will be in loving and being loved, even in our earthly relationships, even in our friendships, even in our marriages with our children, with our coworkers, the more that we can emulate, if you will, or maybe even a better way of looking at it, is the more we can allow God's love to pass through us in the same intentions, the same manner in which God gives it to us, the more successful we will be so let's take a moment and look at these three aspects just for a moment. So first of all, unconditional. Are we pretty unconditional in our relationship with others? <laughs> okay, great. I'm so glad there are honest people in this room. You know, all the time I hear people out in the world even, in a very public situations, saying things that make me think, oh my gosh, I'm not so sure that this is the kind of relationship I would want to be in. You, you, talk, you hear parents talking to children in terms of, uh, now, if you really love me, you'd know to be quiet in the store. <laughs> yeah, and how well does that work? But, but the idea, I think, is pretty, pretty uh, common, right? If you, if you really loved me, you would know the things I like. You would know the behaviors. If you, if you really loved me, you'd pick up after yourself. All of these conditions that we put on the love that we say. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have rules for coexisting, right? I think anyone who has ever lived even with just a roommate realizes we have to have boundaries. We have to have rules for coexisting. And there's no problem with that. Well, of course, we can work out the dynamics of being in relationship in terms of making sure we pick up and, you know, pay for things adequately and whatever it is. But why do we attach that to love? I think there's our mistake. We can have the rules, we can have the boundaries, but let us keep love in that pure sense. Let us truly be able to offer our love to someone without strings attached to it. 
When we have strings, when we, when we have love like a barter kind of thing, the trouble with it is, then what are we expecting to come back the other way, right? If I give you love with strings attached, I got to expect, right, that the same is going to be true for me, that I'm going to have to behave in certain ways or do certain things to maintain that relationship of love. Let us give love freely, but also have it be free. Let us not say in order to love you, you have to do things or believe things or behave certain ways or become something different. So often in my counseling practice, I, I hear people saying, well, the trouble with this relationship is I just can't be myself. And when we talk more about it, right, it's as though in order to maintain the love, I'm expecting myself or, or someone's expecting me, but really, of course, it's myself, is expected to behave certain ways and be certain things and like different things and have different sets of friends and that's not love. That's some kind of strange business deal we got going. <laughs> Can we truly love freely and in freedom? I think so. I think God does a great job with us, and I think we can pass that along. I think we can go ahead and, and have our, our physical limitations. We can have the if you will, the transactions or the agreements or the boundaries set up for good behavior and at the same time just give away our love like mad. The other thing we talked about is, is it for everyone? Because that's the other thing I notice. I notice people that are so very loving with their families and then off to work they go, and who is that person? Have you met someone like that that seems so good in certain areas of their life around love? Maybe with their children or with their husband. And oh my gosh, at work they're a terror. What's that about? I think it, as freely as we can give our love away, the more wonderful it is. And, and I think it can happen in the line at Safeway when things are backed up. I think it can happen on church on Wednesday nights. I think it certainly can happen with our kids and with our family. But I think even the people that are hard to love are deserving of a chance for our love. You know, Jesus, the master teacher, said that we should even love our enemies. And I have to admit, there have been times in my life when that was a real call to question my own ability to love. Now, I don't actually think I have enemies. I mean, I don't, I mean if you're out there, hold up your hand so we can, <laughs> we can figure this out later. But, but I have had people in my life that I thought were downright hard to love, downright difficult to love. And I would say, perhaps, here is how we become a better human being. Here is some work for us to do as individuals. Now, again, I'm not saying we need to tolerate bad behavior. I'm not saying we need to tolerate abuse. I mean, some of the reasons that people are hard to love is because they behave in really stinky ways. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's appropriate, right? Again, we have those limitations set up clearly. We say how we're to be treated. We, we stand up for good behavior and, and what's right for us and in our families. And at the same time, I'm going to try my best to say there too goes God. There too 
in that difficult person is part of the divine. And my hope is on my most difficult day, on, on the day that I've had the day from you know what, <laughs> that someone might look at me in that same way and say, you know, there's part of God too. On the worst day, on the most difficult day, there too is part of God. The last element of God that we talked about in terms of love, I'm going to turn into our homework. And that is that love is available always. And so I'd like you, if you're willing, this week, or maybe even more than a week, to put a little filter in place. Are, are any of you familiar with kind of putting a, per, a, a perception filter on? And, and what I mean by that is we're going to have just a little heightened awareness of what we say and what we do and the decisions that we make in terms of love. And what this filter would be is to ask yourself before you speak, before you take an action, and in particular before you enter into some kind of a conversation with someone or a response to someone, ask yourself just very quickly, what would God do? What would love say? How would God behave in this manner? Or, or how would, the best way I think of it is, how would God as love handle this situation. The fact that love is available to us all always means I think that we have to step up to that, that we have to be part of that. God gets God's things done in the world through us human beings. And so if God is going to be available everywhere, I think that means me. I think that we need to start with that, that that needs to be part of our mission on the planet too. If we want to be successful in love, we have to become love. We have to represent love. And that includes the moments that are difficult, it includes the people that are difficult, and it includes me when I'm difficult. <laughs> to be love, oh my gosh. Then I think we're back to Rumi again. Do you know what I mean? Then we're back to that mystical core of our own center where love always exists. You know, this is the promise of the ancients, that love exists within us always that god is love and since we are part of god we are no less than love itself are we up for the homework this this month so just check out that little filter in particular i would say in a difficult situation as you're just about ready to launch into that rebuttal <laughs> do you know what i mean as you're just getting ready to give that homespun advice on how someone could behave better or, or something like that just ask yourself what would god as love do or say or be in this situation i'm going to close tonight with a reading from Love and Law. Actually, I'm going to do two really quick ones, because the first one absolutely... Remember where we started here, the whole biochemical mess? Do you remember that? Listen to this quote from Ernest Holmes, because he tends to agree with it. He says, most people who think they are in love are just attracted physically. When people who are attracted on a physical plane are married and the fire and the passion is burned out, there's nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ernest Holmes. <laughs> but of course, where I really want to end tonight <laughs> is how he ends this chapter. Because he also gets back to basics. 
he gets back to the inherent nature of God as love and that we are part of God. Here's what he says. We must take our life, our love, our thought of happiness, our thoughts of friendship, and make them all universal. You stand a manifested, a friend, and a lover to every soul. You are in love with life, surrounded by a boundless, limitless, infinite activity whose sole impulse is irresistible love. Nothing can limit it. You stand in the middle of it. The whole universe is flooded with it, and it is all manifested by perfect peace and perfect love. It's all yours. Reach out or reach within, and it is all yours. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life, one love. I call this thing God, but, but love would do. The one love of the universe, present always, present in this room as it is in every room, present in these hearts as it is present in all hearts, overflowing on this night with the gifts of sweetness, of friendship, of passion, of joy, all of those elements that make up love, both, both biochemical and spiritual, is present in all, all that love. I know that means me, and I affirm for each person in this room that love is available always. I also affirm that as each of us takes to heart these ideas of spiritual love, that idea of uh, that unfettered nature to it, that, that idea of uh, it being for everyone and available always, that, that idea of unconditional love. As we live these, as we dwell these, as we become these, our loving relationships are so very successful. I'm simply grateful for this, simply grateful for God showing up as love on this night, in this room, with these hearts. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Bless you. Thank you.